Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, We record these in my home and it's early November and I fired up the fire for the first time. There's a little fire sits behind me. I had to find the pilot light and get it to work and I'm not sure I'm ready for another winter, but the fire feels really good. Um, But that's kind of a side point to what we're doing today is we're just um, have another brave gay Latter-day Saint um, willing to step forth and follow spiritual promptings, I believe, to share her story in the hopes it'll help others. So welcome to the podcast, Seth Larson. Thanks, Richard. And when you think of Seth Larson, think of L-A-R-S-O-N, because there's a few ways to spell Larson. So I like to get a name spelled in my mind correctly. Um, Seth is 25. He's lived in several states of the United States, Utah, Texas, Nevada. Utah served a mission, I believe, to Bolivia. Yes. Yeah. And um, got a public health degree from BYU, a master's degree in education design with some psychology in there. Um, He's been out for about eight months or so and um, just going to share his story um, navigating this road of being gay and being a Latter-day Saint. And and listeners may do this story, these podcasts, as you know, every story is a little different and I invite you, if you're LGBTQ, to write your story is from a position of strength. Uh, but often it feels really helpful to hear other stories, especially younger closeted listeners that aren't really out to anybody that might be putting your earbuds on at night and just hearing somebody like Seth's story. In our prayer, we said a prayer is this Seth's story will help you if you're LGBTQ, if you're an ally, if you're a local leader, and just a better love and support. So it's really brave when someone messaged me like Seth did and said, I think I'd like to share uh, my story and I'm honored to have this platform, but it's brave people like Seth that step forward. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Seth, to share your story. Thank you so much. Um, I have loved this podcast for years and I've really enjoyed hearing people share their life stories with all of the ups and all of the downs. Um, But today I just want to share one story from my life. And that is the story of how I went from a 100% faithful, determined to be celibate person to who I am now, where I actively date men. Um, I'm still very active in the church and I'm not trying to share this story as as a how-to or as an example of what I think people should do. That's not why I'm sharing this. Um, I'm sharing this because at the end of the story, I learned something really important about God. And more than anything, that is what inspired me to maybe share this here. So um, for some very quick context, I did grow up in the church, extremely active. My parents are extremely active. Um, I served my mission in Bolivia. I came out to my parents when I was 17. And they were extremely kind and supportive and wonderful. Um, I went to BYU. I graduated. And during my time at BYU, I was really focused on this idea that I could marry a woman and make it work and build my eternal family and have everything that I felt like the church offered. So this story just begins after my my second breakup. I had dated two different girls who were both absolutely wonderful. 
when you think chosen generation or when you think a virtuous woman, you are thinking about my ex-girlfriends. They are beautiful, kind, creative women. Um, so when I couldn't make it work with either of them, I began to doubt if I would ever make it work with a woman because they were so wonderful. Um, but especially after that second breakup, I began to really examine my life and my choices. And at this point, I feel like I had really bought in to the church in the sense that I was extremely active. I taught at the MTC for several years. I taught Institute. I always had at least two callings in every ward that I was in. I attended the temple weekly. I was a temple worker. I read the scriptures for 30 minutes a day. Um, I just feel like I had done so many things, all the things um, that I was told were considered good and righteous and, and holy. And they did give me um, a sense of fulfillment in life. I, I greatly enjoyed being very active. But actually the other night I was reading in my journal and I just found some other quotes from this time of my life that I thought were really interesting. Um, and these quotes from my journal, they're not, I'm not trying to make myself seem like I was really sad at this time because I wasn't, I was very active. But I had thoughts like this and I considered this very normal. And I just assumed that everyone who was as active as I was, was also feeling the same way that I was. Um, I wrote things like, every time I leave a social gathering or a party, I feel so empty. Or all of my problems are my fault. I'm the worst. And once I become a better person, these problems will go away. Or um, I feel really overwhelmed when people show me a lot of love and not in a good way. Um, <laughs> or I think my favorite, there's a feeling of longing that is ever present that I cannot explain. And it's always there. So these are just feelings that I had and I just assumed were normal um, that accompanied this extremely active lifestyle that I had. But again, after my second breakup, I began to think really hard about how I was living. And I had two interactions with two different friends that I thought were really interesting and really helped me. Maybe not helped, but they changed my paradigm a little bit. The first one, um, I had a friend to whom I was out um, who asked me, Seth, why don't you just date men? And I explained to him, I'm a member of this church and that is against the commandments. And God gives us commandments so that we can be happy. So he wouldn't tell me how to live my life unless it would make me happy. And my friend kind of looked at me and said, then why are you not happy? And I was really surprised that he would say that. And he said it very sincerely. He wasn't trying to be mean. But I was taken aback. But I, I kind of realized that he was, he was right, that I wasn't very happy. I was very busy. I was very active, but I was not very happy. And then later, I was talking to another friend to whom I also came out. And my friend said, oh, Seth, I've, I've, always, I've always known that you were gay since I met you in our first freshman ward at BYU. And I said, how? How did you know? And my friend said, there's an air of loneliness that follows you around. And I have learned to peg that as um, a characteristic of a gay member of the church. So both of these experiences of outsiders looking at me and saying, from what we see, you're not happy and you are lonely. Again, I, I began to reconsider a few things. And this kind of takes me into a very unhappy and dark time in my life when I was willing to face the big questions. I was willing to, to think maybe I will be alone forever and maybe I don't want that. Maybe what I want is not what the church wants for me. Um, I began to really push back on a lot of teachings that I heard or talks instead of just accepting everything that I heard in church. I would push back and say, actually, 
I don't feel that way. Or I feel really anxious when people say things like that. Um, and so I went back to my journal and here are some thoughts from a little bit later in this journey. And I, I want to clarify that these things that I'm going to say, this is how I was feeling. And I'm aware that they are feelings. These are not facts. This is not exactly what was happening, but this is how I felt. Um, I felt like my entire identity and my life were tied to the church. And so if I left the church in any way, I would lose who I was and I would lose my community and my friends. And that made church feel a lot more like a trap, like a prison and less like a home. Um, I began to wonder if maybe my purpose in life was subpar to the purpose of everyone else. Everyone else around me, or so it seemed, their purpose in life was to form a family and to find meaning and success in parenthood and marriage and being leaders in the church. And I thought, well, I guess is my purpose not that? Do I have to find meaning somewhere else? Does that make me different than everyone? Am I celestial material? Was I never meant to be exalted? Just questions like that. I'm um, really heavy thoughts that I couldn't really get rid of. Um, at this time, I I reached out to a lot of men that I had heard of or that I knew that, that were members of the church, but were celibate, which is what I had planned to do because I couldn't make it work with girls. So I figured I would just have to live how they were living. And I asked them lots of questions and I expressed to them how I felt. And all of them said, ah, I, I have that same question still. I still feel that way. And these were men that were five or 10 or 15 years older than me. And that made me feel like nothing's getting better. Nothing changes. I'm always going to feel this confused. I will go to the grave feeling as, as, as confused and angry as I do, which again, I understand it. it's a feeling. Um, but the last feeling and the most dangerous one was this very nagging idea that everything would be better if I died. If I could just put off this mortal sphere and put off the natural man permanently, then I wouldn't have to deal with how angsty and angry and confused that I felt. Um, I'm really blessed because I had all these feelings and I could talk about this with my therapist and with my parents. They were well aware of all these things that I was saying and they would listen to me and they would say, Seth, that is black and white thinking or that is a logical fallacy. And were really supportive and really kind as I was expressing I think I want to die, or I think nothing's going to get better. Um, so I was, I was very blessed to have that. Um, but even so, it got to a point where every single day, I, I would have at least one thought of just how nice it would be to not be alive anymore. And that got really exhausting. And the worst part was these thoughts were twice as strong when I was at church or when I was at the temple. Um, so there's just a lot of conflict. Um, I was, again, not in a great place. And for several months, my parents and my therapist said, Seth, I really think you should just go on a date with a boy. Just do it. Give yourself some agency. Give yourself some grace. Explore your feelings. Because the way that you feel so trapped in the church, that's not what church is about. No one in the church wants you to feel that way. And I was very, very, very resistant. But after about a year of Every day thinking about killing myself, I figured it was time to try something new on top of the therapy and on top of everything I was doing. Um, so I decided to go on one date with one boy. And I didn't know who to ask or where to start. Um, but it almost felt like divine intervention because this man kind of fell into my life and he didn't know 
any of my friends. He had no connection to the rest of my life. So he wasn't going to go tattle on me. Um, but we met and we got soda and we talked for 45 minutes and we had an awkward hug. And that was my first date with a boy. <laughs> and that was it. That's all it was. But that 45 minutes, it did more for my anxiety and my testimony than anything else had done for a year. Um, because after the date, I, I took a self-evaluation and I realized I still believe in God. I still feel fine taking the sacrament this week. And I was really able to separate what my conviction was, what my testimony was, and then what my anxiety around this issue was. And I worked through that anxiety. I realized that so much of my feelings around the church were fear-based and not faith-based. And going on this date really helped me get to that point and start sorting through my feelings and better understand what is my testimony and what am I anxious about? And that was so good for me. And that helped me so much that I decided that maybe two dates could also help me. If, if just one date did that much for me, then maybe two could do even more. Um, and so over the next few months, I, I began to become romantically intimate with men. And it was like a crash course in being a human being. Um, I don't owe this explanation to anyone, but I am still a virgin. So when I say romantically intimate, what I mean is I began to acknowledge my crushes on people and I began to hold hands and I began to see a guy who thought was cute and tell him that I thought he was cute. Um, kissing, flirting, just these very small things of intimacy that I think most people do when they're in high school. So when I talk about intimacy for the rest of the podcast, that is what I mean. These very small romantic gestures. But again, they it really was like the best metaphor I can think of. It was almost like the Wizard of Oz. I feel like I was living life in black and white. And these experiences helped me see color for the first time. And I actually, I wrote down a few lessons that I learned in this time period when I was going on dates with men um, and facing those anxieties and sorting through what was anxiety and what was testimony. Um, so here's here's the list of amazing things that I learned because I went on dates. Um, for the first time in my life, the law of chastity felt relevant and necessary. As a youth, hearing about the law of chastity, I always thought, if you just repress your sexuality, you'll be fine. Let's move on. Let's talk about something more interesting than girls. But now that I was finally engaging in romantic behavior and allowing myself to feel romantic things, I understood Oh, this is why there are so many protective measures around this topic. This is why we're talking to this, talking to children about this. It just, it just made more sense. It was like a light bulb of, oh, this is why this commandment exists. And that was really cool. Um, dating is all about finding what you want. And so it helped me explore for the first time what I wanted from life, not just romantically, but in a career um, and in how I looked and what I spent my money and time doing because I stopped being such a people pleaser and trying to give people what I thought they wanted for my own protection, I began to just explore what I wanted. And that was extremely empowering and enlightening. Um, I began to empathize a lot better with my peers. Um, I live in Provo and I'm surrounded by BYU students or recent graduates who are all dating. And that's a huge focus for them. And so now that I was dating with stakes or dating with with actual attraction attached i i understood better what my roommates and my friends were going through and i could connect better with them and i feel like i could respond better when they had a hard date or a good date 
Um, and that was really exciting. It was, it was, it was cool to feel like we were on the same page finally about what dating is like or what romance is like or what intimacy is like. So I connected better with all these people in my life. Um, as I was dating, there were a few times when I was at the house of a person I had met online by myself and I had not told anyone where I was because I was afraid to, I was still pretty closeted. And I realized that was extremely dangerous. And so because I was connecting better to people and because I didn't want to be in dangerous situations, I just decided to bite the bullet and come out to everyone with whom I had constant contact. I never wrote a post, but I would just, I just made sure that everyone that I talked to, all of my friends, all of my coworkers, everyone just knew that I was gay. And with a lot of them, I felt comfortable sharing that I was going on a date that night with someone I hadn't met yet. Here's my location. And I was a lot safer. And coming out, I just, I, I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life. But for me, it was an extremely positive, extremely positive experience because I felt more around, I felt more authentic, excuse me, around other people. And people started being able to be kind to me and not kind to the projection of me that I gave to the world. And I began to experience or just be the recipient of such a deep understanding and kindness and sweetness and charity that I had never experienced. And I could, I could talk for a whole different podcast about the good things that people have done for me once they understood better who I was and how much richer my relationships are with almost everyone in my life because I am out and I, and I'm very, I'm actually out. I'm not just saying I'm gay. I'm telling them that I'm going on gay dates. Um, I began to feel just a lot more confident in myself and investing in myself. I started going to the gym. I started wearing clothes that maybe looked a little nicer. I started eating healthier. Um, so there's just so many, there are so many positive things that were happening during this time in my life. And I felt so much more myself and so much more fulfilled. And I think the most important lesson I learned, um, this is maybe a little graphic, but only a little bit. Um, the first time that I kissed a man, um, he was very respectful and kind. I was very blessed to have that experience be with someone that was a very good person. And I just, I remember feeling so safe and warm and all the butterflies were there. I wasn't falling completely in love with him, but it was just such a pleasant experience. And I remember thinking, is this what being gay is all about? It's about feeling warm and safe with someone. And this lovely, intimate, shared experience, um, it's really nice. I can't lie to this guy because he's an inch away from my face. And it's hard to, to be a fake person or to put up a front or a wall when you're right there in that moment with someone. And it was so lovely. And I remember thinking in that moment, maybe I don't have to hate being gay. Maybe I don't have to hate myself for being gay. Because being gay is actually, this is, this is nice. This isn't, I don't feel like I'm worshiping Satan when I do this. I don't feel like I'm, I'm ruining God's plan when I do this. I just feel nice. And maybe being gay is all about just finding feelings like this. And I don't have to hate that. And so just that step alone of being able to really overcome how much I hated myself for my orientation, um, for that alone, this whole journey was worth it. And I, I really did step into this world where I really just cared a lot more about myself. And I wasted zero time 
and zero energy hating who I was. Um, so that was a lot of positive experiences. There was a lot of positive things that were happening. But to borrow uh, a metaphor from the Bible, I feel like engaging in this space, especially still being as active as I as I am, it was kind of like partaking of the fruit. Uh, I feel like my capacity to love and to be happy and to be myself grew, but so did my capacity to hate and my capacity to be hurt and my capacity to be angry. Um, that also grew. And I don't want to say that that dating will open all these wonderful doors in your life and nothing bad will happen because plenty of bad things happened as well. Um, as I was experiencing so much happiness, I was also experiencing a lot more anger towards the church. Um, my cognitive dissonance that I experienced as a closeted member does not hold a candle to the cognitive dissonance that I was feeling as an out member. Um, so going to church became even more difficult. Um, I found that as I was trying to be more authentic to myself, that included sometimes saying and doing things that I felt that were not nice or not good. Um, Again, in an attempt to be honest, but there are things that you can honestly feel that do not need to be said. But it, I was less capable of, of keeping that in. And I said things that were hurtful. And I said things that were ignorant. Um, and I, I did end up getting hurt a few times. People friend-zoned me, you know. People didn't text me back. So my I did have negative experiences as well. And the world of dating, no matter what your orientation is, can be very messy. And I experienced all of that. You know, it wasn't... It wasn't 100% a happy thing or a fun thing. There was definitely a lot of, of pain. And like I said, anger. And this kind of leads me to the end of the story. Um, after a few months of just feeling so miserable in church and just feeling so much dissonance in my life, dissonance between the happiness and the connection and the authenticity that I was feeling when I dated with also my conviction and my testimony and the things that I was being told at church, that dissonance grew really strong and I began, well, I, I finally decided, I thought um, that I was going to leave the church. I decided I hate being this angry. I hate spending Sundays being so upset and so confused. So I think the best choice is just to leave the church. Um, and I didn't want to do so immediately, but I actually, I made a plan. I wrote it out and I said, starting now, I'm not going to go to any more firesides or institute classes. Um, I'm not going to go to the second hour of church anymore. And I'm not going to participate in any um, choirs. I love singing and I, I participate in a lot of spiritual church directed or church funded choirs. And I said, no more. I'm going to stop those things. And then slowly I'll stop going to the first hour of church. Slowly I'll stop paying my tithing, et cetera, et cetera, until I have blissfully faded away from the church. Um, so that was my plan. And to borrow from another biblical metaphor, uh, I kind of felt like the journey of the church, it's kind of like walking on water towards Christ. Everyone's on the water. We're all walking towards him. There's winds and waves for everyone. And we're all just in the church, walking towards Christ, trying to come unto him. And I felt like at this point, I was so tired of these winds and these waves. And maybe the light of Christ was growing so faint, um, that I was okay with just sinking. I didn't want to take anyone with me. Um, I still wanted to cheer on people who who wanted to stay in the church, but I was okay with just just sinking down and not making the effort anymore. 
because for me, it had become a source of just a lot of pain. So that was my plan. And that was my, my mental image, this idea, I'm just going to sink in the water and float away peacefully. And hopefully no one, no one comes after me. And the very next day, so this is the end of the story. The very next day after I made this plan, I got a text message from my friend, Diana. And she said, hey, Seth, we are putting on a production of The Lamb of God, which is, um, it's kind of like a musical almost, but there's a choir and there are soloist singers and they all just sing about the last week of the life of Christ. And it's very beautiful. And so Diana texted me and said, hey, we're doing this production. Auditions are over, actually. We already had auditions. They're already closed. But I know you, and I know that you like singing, and I know your voice, and I really want you to be one of the solo singers. Which was deeply flattering to me. I was I was so flattered. And the opportunity was very, really cool to solo with an orchestra and with a choir in this production. But this was right after I had just wrote a list that included no more choirs because I'm trying to slowly leave the church. So she texted me that, and I, I looked at their cast list of everyone else who had been cast in the show, the other soloists. And a quick review on social media showed me that these other soloists were very, very gifted people. They were voice teachers. They had toured the country singing. These were people who were starring uh, in musicals, um, people who had music brands. So all very, extremely gifted people. And I'm not trying to self-deprecate when I say, that's not me. I like singing, but I'm, I'm not that good. I'm not a voice teacher. I, I'm not trained. Music is not my career. So it was just really strange to me that she would reach out to me of all people when the rest of the cast were these, again, very gifted, trained singers. So it, it was just very strange. And I was kind of looking at the text thinking, this is a little odd that the day after I say I don't want to do a choir, I get the chance of a lifetime to solo when I know for a fact that I do not deserve it. Like, this is not based on, on merit. And as I was sitting there and thinking about this, um, again, I had the mental image of walking on the water and sinking in the water. And I feel like this text was almost like the hand of Christ coming and, and grabbing me by the shirt and pulling me up and saying, I'm not, I'm not letting you go that easily. I don't want you to leave. I want you to be here. I want you to feel the spirit somehow. I, I want you to engage in Christian behavior. I, I want you here. I don't want to let you go. And that, that impression, that feeling of such deep love, um, it was not only the deepest love I feel like I felt, but also the most unexpected, because this is the day after I had decided to leave the church. Um, and this is what I learned about God from that experience. Um, my entire time in the church, which is my entire life, these 25 years, I've always considered, or I've always just believed that choice is can only cause joy if you choose exactly what God wants you to, or exactly what you're supposed to do. That is the only way to do joy, is to do exactly what you're supposed to do. And then Christ can only work in your life if you turn to face him. Once you turn to face Christ, and once you're humble, and once you turn around, he will help you. But until you get to that point, if you've turned around, or if you're walking away from the church or walking away from Christ, he can't help you. And this experience really 
threw both of those thoughts out the window and showed me that choosing how to live your life is a wonderful and beautiful thing. No matter how or what you choose, the, the power that we have to choose will cause joy. Whether or not we choose exactly what we're supposed to, the, there is so much joy in choosing. And simultaneously, Christ is not waiting for you to turn around. He is working for you no matter what you're doing. Um, I feel like in the story of the prodigal son, we think about how the father came in and ran to, to meet the prodigal son after the prodigal son had returned in that direction. But I feel like I was getting that hug from Christ when I was still in the pigsty. I was still out there. I, I, I hadn't turned around. You know, I wasn't humbling myself. And just realizing that Christ has the power to do that and the grace to do that and that his love really is that extreme, that he is creating opportunities for you to come back and he is creating connection with you no matter where you are in your journey. You don't have to be turned to him. He, he is always, always, always there, always fighting for you. Maybe I knew that in my head, but learning that through this experience and feeling that love um, has made everything worth it. And I don't regret a single choice that I've made up until now. Because I learned that. And I had that moment with Christ where I felt like it didn't matter where I was or what I was doing because his love was there and his effort to save me was there. Um, and since then, I asked maybe what's the point of obeying Christ if he's always going to love me? If he's always going to be there, which I know he will, then why obey? Why read the scriptures? Why go to church? And I still don't have a great answer for that. But at this point in my life, I, I think it's because I love God. And that's why I would do those things. And I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to merit anything. I just, I think, I think that I love God. And I say think because my testimony is still very, very shaken. Um, outside of this story, my life is a lot bigger than being gay. And there are lots of other places in my life where I feel like I have witnessed suffering that is impossible to reconcile, or I've seen things happen that really have shaken my testimony of the church and honestly of, of God's existence. There are lots of things that are still shaking me. But I still read the scriptures every day, and I, I joined the choir, and I'm still trying. But it's because now the God that I worship or the God that I believe in or the God that I hope exists is the one who will love me everywhere and will show me that grace and extend me that grace even when I, I, I don't want it or when I don't see it. And um, yeah, that's that's the story. I did a lot of writing, Seth. <laughs> this is one of the very best podcasts we've done. and. Um, really brave to share your story and be honest about your story and respect from all of our listeners that want to give you a big hug for being vulnerable, being honest, being authentic and, and sharing your story. I think it helps other people know they're not alone and other good people have the same feelings and the same perspectives and same experiences as you and you lay down principles to navigate that. I'd love you. I've got some comments, but I think you've got some advice you'd like to share. I'd love to keep you talking. Um, yeah. Because I think you're a really gifted communicator. So keep, if you've got some more stuff you'd like to share, like advice, or then I'll ask you some questions. Uh, thank you. Um, 
I guess, things that I wish that I could share with my past self or with church leaders or family members um, based on this experience. I am, I am but an empirical expert. This is only from my own experience and not from years of research. But I think something that I would say both to um, LGBTQ members of the church and leaders is first, make sure that you know that life matters more than church and that God gave us the gift of life before he gave us a church, before there was even a gospel, he, there was the gift of life. And I, I doubt there would ever be a time when someone would have to sacrifice their conviction in order to help someone stay alive. I don't think that would ever happen. But if it did, I hope that I would choose someone's life over my own conviction. Again, that's a very dramatic, extreme way to put it, but I, I think that life always matters more than church. And that there are so many lives living right now of people who don't have the church, who don't have the gospel, because the world is huge. And there are all the people who lived during the time of the apostasy. You know, there, there are so many people who have lived meaningful and wonderful lives without the church. And so it's been good for me to recognize that life, again, and what comes with life and what happens in my life and the lives of others, life is more important than church. I'm grateful for the church and I'm glad that I have it. And I think that missionary work and sharing it is wonderful. But that priority shift for me has helped me be a lot more stable and a lot more, I think, loving and helpful in the world, just knowing that that life is more important than church. Um, I would say too, like, if you feel like the church is limiting you or you feel like I was like trapped, that is not the purpose of the church. And no one wants you to feel that way. Um, so please, and I'm talking to past self, do what you need to do so that doesn't feel that way. And if that includes breaking a rule, pray about it, you know, think if that's something you want to do. But I, I hate the idea that people will feel or would feel trapped in church or see the church like a prison, which is how I saw it for a long time. And the church just simply, that's not what its purpose is. And I think, I think the church leaders would support you if you did things to help you not feel that way. They don't want you to feel like the commandments are a chain and, and that church is incarceration. That's not how, no one wants you to feel that way. So if you feel that way at church, I would highly recommend you to not embrace that or think that's how it's supposed to be because it's not. Um, and then finally, um, I think the space of being, or at least interacting with LGBTQ and the, and the gospel at the same time, I think there's a lot of fear involved. And I think a lot of people are afraid of what to say or afraid of how to show love, but not condone. There's just, I feel like there's a lot of fear. And I look at that as an opportunity to become fearless, that God has given you this chance to become a fearless individual, whatever that looks like. And for, in the same way, I feel like there's so much misunderstanding in this space. And I feel like God has given that to us so that we can become understanding. Like this is the place to become an understanding person because um, it is so messy and it is so nuanced. And, but of all places, I feel like that is the best place to grow understanding. Um, and, and I feel like, again, in this space of being a member of the church and being queer, a lot of people are afraid of how much love or support to show. And I just, this, this is the place to show all the love and all the support. I just, it excites me, this idea that we have such a gray, morally gray issue where you can learn what radical grace feels like in you. And you can show more mercy than maybe you've ever felt like you've needed to show in the past. And that's really exciting. 
Um, and so instead of like, if you feel afraid or at all of the space, I would just come running in because there's so much to learn. And there's, I really feel like it's a great place for people to come and grow. And that attitude of this is an exciting place to grow is a lot healthier than this is a scary place that I don't want to deal with. So those are maybe just some things that I would tell my past self to think or to feel. And hopefully, I don't know if past self would have listened, but <laughs> at least I got there now. So um, you're a gifted communicator, gifted teacher, you understand the gospel. I can see, you know, more why you've been so involved in church service and, and um, so many lives are better because of your service. <clears throat> Talk about your parents. I don't know if they're going to listen, but you've given them sort of indirectly um, some shout outs because something happened at age 17 in your family culture where you felt safe coming out and, and you're having this ongoing dialogue, you know, and when you're really in a tough emotional spot, even suicidal, and they're aware you're not keeping this from them. And um, as you start a date, they seem to be aware of that also. In fact, maybe I think it was a friend or, and or your parents that said, maybe you should explore this road as part of your journey. So I'm not sure I framed that all correctly, but there's parents listening that probably want to, you know, sort of, they want to be good parents and do a good job. So there's some things that your parents have done well, and maybe they're not perfect, um, but just talk about your parents and advice for parents. Yeah. Um, I do have the best parents in the world. I'm sorry to all the other parents out there, but mine are the best. Um, when I came out to them at 17, that was actually quite a messy. It didn't come out exactly how I wanted it to. Um, <laughs> but even, and I think that speaks more to the, just the grace that my parents have that even though it was kind of a, a not fabulous moment, they chose in that moment when they could have chosen a lot of feelings. Um, they chose again to be kind. Um, and immediately this might, Oh, I don't mean to throw my mom under the bus here. But one of the first things I remember her saying was, Seth, do you want to leave the church? Like, go for it. We, we are so here for you if you want to do that. Which at the time when I was 17 and still very entrenched in the gospel, I was actually offended that she would say that. Um, but looking back now and just seeing how quickly she thought about the future and what that might look like for me. And how quickly she was thought of how can I show him that no matter what the outcome of this situation is, that I love him. I just, I'm in awe. I am, I am floored that she was able to say that with such sincerity so quickly. Um, and, and since then, the culture in our family has changed a lot. We didn't talk about queer issues a lot. Um, we were a pretty traditionally conservative LDS family. Um, but over the past few years, my parents have been to more pride events than I have. And they have, there's a pride flag hanging in, in my window at their house. Um, and which is interesting because it wasn't until, again, the past year or so of my life where I finally came into myself and was able to love myself more. But just to know that they loved me even when I didn't, and they were so comfortable with all these hard questions even before I was, is, ugh, I don't want to cry. But I just, I have the best parents that they really committed to me. You know, they they are so committed to making me feel safe and loved. And they are completely unafraid of asking hard questions. 
or saying things that are sometimes really hurtful, but they're not afraid to say it. And they're not afraid to have the conversation after to learn if that was a good or bad thing to say. So I guess my advice would just be, you can be so brave. Like, don't be afraid. There, there's, again, there's so much love in this space and there's so much love that you can show. And there's so much courage that you can show. Um, and even if your child isn't at that point yet, I think I think you can be. And I'm, again, just so grateful. And my relationship with my parents has never, it's never been better. Um, they are still very active members of the church. And I don't think they would be thrilled if I left the church. I, I mean, I don't think they would have a, a parade or say, yay, everyone should leave the church. But our relationship is so, it is such that that doesn't affect it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's about me. It's not about what church I'm in or or who I'm dating. It's about me. And that has taught me so much about what love is and what parenting is. So that was that was very jumbled. But no, the short good. story is I love my parents. Um, it was very good. And I search for principles. I love what your mom said, even though you, you know, weren't expecting to say that. You know, if you need to leave the church, Seth, you know, we'll support that or we'll walk with you. and. Maybe that helped you give permission to stay and also know that I can open up to them about everything in my life. I don't think that, you know, your mom saying that is going to cause you to leave the church. I think if you step away from the church, it'll be separate from your mom's comment. But I do think as a parent, you know, when we say to her, it just, I think it puts in the back of your mind that my mom and dad are safe and they can handle the realities of my life. And as you're dating men, um, it sounds like you're open to your parents about that and and even recognizing, because you're pretty self-aware, that I can't be in situations where no one knows where I am. And so I can't, I've got to be out and tell people I'm on a date with the, with the boy. And to me, that's, you know, not dating out of fear. It's dating out of just being smart. <laughs> And involving people in your life. And so a lot of parents reach out to me and say, I know my kid's going to start same-sex dating. I'm really worried about that because you're right. You didn't have the high school experience. Um, You took me back to my first hug, awkward hug with Jane at Brighton night skiing. And it was really awkward. And But I was 16. And so, you know, you're kind of going through all this in your 20s. And you're very kind of self-aware of this new space, but I love your advice to others that may feel this is their path also is do it responsibility, do it with intention, um, and involve people you love in your life. And so I think your parents, so as parents, I think you've got to talk to your kids about the reality of their dating and say, I'm a safe place. If you get in a situation where you're, what, however you define that, please, I can handle that situation. Um, talk to me about that. It's not about your sexual orientation or anything at this point. It's just about, I love you as my kid on. I want to keep you safe and I want to be there in your best moments and the ones you, that are you the most difficult. So I think that's just good parenting. And I love that you've been to a therapist. Um, I loved you being upfront with intimacy. It's kind of a tangent, but sometimes we hear these words, listeners in Latter-day Saint culture and We'll hear a word like intimacy, and then we'll define that the way we sort of think it's defined. So I like you kind of intentionally defining that. It's just a kind of maturity of your story is I'm willing to talk about 
intimacy, but just so you understand, I don't owe you this explanation, but just so you don't make up things in your mind, I'm going to, given the nature of this space and this podcast, I thought that was very responsible. Um, Another thought I had was, I spoke to a group of YSAs about Christ, and I thought one of the best ways to develop a relationship with Christ and God is to better understand their character. And, um, you know, you had some lines, Christ is waiting for, not waiting for you to turn around. It was just so powerful, Seth, that everything you said about our relationship with God and Christ, um, that didn't take personal progress off the table, didn't take commandment keeping off the table. But I think we just do better when we believe in the God and the Christ that you just taught us about. And that that's not a transactional relationship. It's not earned. We don't have to turn around and face and be moving in that direction. We don't have to go through the first five stages of whatever we want to do to improve on our own, that God and Christ will be there. Um, That is so powerful. And I believe it's so accurate, and they are waiting for us. Do you want to comment any more on that? Just the idea that God and Christ are there, and because you talk about that not theoretically, you talk about it from personal experience. That was really powerful. Thank you. Um, I think the only other thing I would add, um, my favorite title of Christ is Redeemer because he can redeem any situation that you're in. Um, and so no matter cho- what choice you make or where you end up in life, because of his atonement and because of his power, he can redeem that. He can take wherever you are and turn that into something good, which I think really eliminates the fear. This fear of, oh no, what if I mess up? What if I fall out of grace? What if, what if, what if, what if? There's so much fear and anxiety that can happen, but when you recognize that Christ can redeem you from literally any situation, I think you can just start making a lot more choices based on faith and and confidence and less choices based on what you're afraid will happen. Yeah, that's very helpful and and that skills to all listeners, including me. So thank you for that. How did you feel um, about when you came out, your friends said, well, I always knew you were gay. Because you're lonely. Some people don't like it minimizes sort of like you've known all along and and some people are everybody's gonna have a little different feeling. Talk more about how you felt when one of your friends said, I always knew you were gay. Um it's happened a few times, and usually it is not a positive experience. I don't I don't love that response. Um why? I think in in one scenario which is not the one i talked about earlier it was someone who was pretty close to me and he said yeah i've I've just i kind of figured and then i i thought then why have you said homophobic things in the past or why have you never tried to extend any sort of olive branch or i was just a little a little hurt and then when other people who don't know me very deeply have said that sometimes it's just i think it, it hurts my pride a little bit because as a closeted person, I took a lot of pride in being able to mask my emotions and act in contrary to how I felt. So hearing people say, oh, I always knew it, I mean, that hurt my pride a little bit. I thought maybe I'm not as good a, a, a liar as I think I am. Um, but in, in the case where I, where I did talk about where my friend said there was a sense of loneliness that I have learned to attribute to gay members of the church. 
I actually really appreciated that comment. Um, because it shows, instead of saying, I think you're gay because of what you wear or how you sound or because you like feminine things, it came from this place of, I know you, I watch you, I see you. And that is kind of what clued me into maybe something is going on. So that actually was kind of a tender experience because my friend wasn't making assumptions again about what I said or what I wear or, or, or what I like. Um, it just, it showed a level of understanding that I was really surprised by. I don't know if that yeah. answers your question. In fact, that was a terrific answer. Um, but I love your friend that um, approached him a position of empathy because he cared for you. And he was in tune and intuitive enough to recognize you were lonely. And there's probably some straight lonely people. So I'd push a little bit back on that. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes, there's probably sorry, some yeah. straight people listening that, hey, I'm a little lonely too. <laughs> it's not easy being single and straight um, and unmarried for decades in our church. But I do agree. And I like that that was coming from a position of love. And I care about you. And I I recognize that being lonely is a hard thing. And and now that you're talking about this part of you, we can kind of walk on this road together. Um, you use the term subpar. That's my purpose as a Latter-day Saint is subpar because I'm gay. No one's quite used the term subpar, but I it it captures a frequent feeling that guests share, Seth, is that, you know, in a in a church, in a society that values marriage between a man and a wife and eternal families and you know, obviously that's something you've wanted and you've worked really hard and you gave great credit to those women you got serious with, but it just was not in the circle of your control to make that happen for you. And so, you know, that's then to feel subpar and a second class. And um, that's a pretty honest articulation of how you feel. And um, I also love, and I'm kind of bouncing here, listeners, I love your journaling. And um, that's a wonderful principle if you're in a tough spot. Some people have a therapy journal or a real private journal, listeners, that they're not, they're not intending for their posterity to read, but it's just a safe place to talk about the realities of their life. And some have a second journal that's maybe more, less vulnerable and more that something posterity might read. And I don't know if you have two types of journals. That's a little behind the point, but I love that you're honest in your journal entries about your experiences and i think that is a good thing um but uh you know and just this really tough spot you are where you're thinking is it better i'm just not alive anymore and what's the purpose then if um i can't find a wife and be married and so i've heard those feelings before and i'm i'm glad you're honest about those feelings and i think you did have and I love that you have a therapist and parents and people you're opening up with, including your journal. But then I love that you felt like, and maybe that was the advice of others, but I think at the end of the day, you had to make the decision, am I going to date men? And am I going to open my my life up to that possibility? And my earlier self-listeners would say, well, that's step one to leaving the church, Seth. You shouldn't even do step one. Um, why even go down that road? My older self, I'm not Seth, my older self would say, you know, you've got, you know, you have to just, you have to live your life and you have to decide your path and I will walk with you. And often it brings clarity on a path. Um, 
And part of that clarity was your desire to stay in the church. Um, but I look at your, ex- you know, listeners, I get, I look at your experience dating men and the feelings you felt and just recognize this as your sexual orientation lining up with, you know, how you feel and all the blessings of straight couples as you describe all those feelings you're feeling are the exact things that straight couples are feeling. And so I, I recognize the complexity you walk worse, you know, 25 year old, BYU student who's straight is all in this paradox. He can, you know, have all those feelings and 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 fully participate in the church. And you have to, and that's where sometimes people get angry and frustrated. And I just validate all the anger and frustration and the paradox and the unfairness of the road you walk. And because the fruit of what you felt was good, you know, that your experience, and it wasn't like, I felt bad, and I clearly knew that this was bad fruit. This felt good to me. And I've heard so many of those stories like that as I just honor how you feel. Um, And I just validate the complexity of the road you're on and want to do everything I can in my circle and control to improve your experience. Um, Talk more about why church and temple would be triggering for you. I I can sort of guess how you're going to answer that, but you would you talked about you know I went to church and it was my most triggering day and going to the temple was triggering for me and even though you have a testimony of the church at the time and I sense still do that was triggering talk more about that. Um, I think, and again, especially if we rewind a year or two when I was feeling that way um, before I started dating, I think a lot of what was difficult for me to hear is that people would say things over the pulpit or in Sunday school that really validated my self-destructive behaviors. And let me, let me speak a little more to that. I think there came a point where I, I feel like reading the scriptures for me, it was, it was me very desperately just clinging, looking for anything, any sort of consolation. And that space of desperation was very uncomfortable and I didn't like it. And then I would go to church and hear about how important it is to read the scriptures. And it was really easy for me to connect like, oh, the church wants me to feel desperate. You know, this, this suffering that I feel right now, how miserable I feel when I read the scriptures, that, that is what they want me to do, which I don't think is the case. And, and I can look back and give myself a lot of grace for how I would make that connection. Um, But I think that was really hard to just hear people validate things that for me had become places where I felt really confused. Um, I think also in the temple, especially trying to think about eternity was really overwhelming. Um, trying to think about forever. Again, it was really scary. And that's where I felt the most subpar, the most insufficient because everything in the temple is pointing towards this great final new and everlasting covenant. And every time I went, I was reminded more and more of not only do I not think that's possible, but I don't even know if I want that. Like, I don't know if I want even in the next life to be married to a woman. And again, those are questions that no one can answer. But having to think about that every time I was in the temple for the hour and a half that it takes to be in a session, um, it was really, really draining. And it also, I'll be honest, this idea of like, I can be... I. I can be celestial if I stop everything now. 
if I just, if I just stop everything now, I won't have the time to make bad choices or to explore what I want. And so, and then I could just be as good as everyone else is. And I can have all these blessings that they're talking about in the temple. Um, so for those reasons, it, it was really dark and messy. Um, and then I actually, I did stop attending the temple for about 10 months because I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't want to feel angry and I didn't want to feel suicidal. So I stopped. And I actually, I went to the temple two days ago for the first time in a very long time. And it was very nice. I didn't, I didn't feel that way anymore. I didn't feel that anxiety and that darkness. So I'm, I'm really glad that I took a break and that I've, and I've taken time to explore my own feelings and beliefs. And for what it's worth, I did go to the temple with the question, God, am I still worthy to be here? And I felt like I was. Good. And so that was also a very pleasant surprise. I love where you're kind of doing things on your own terms um, and really owning your own story. That's a frequent theme that I share is people have wanted to write your story for you as a gay Latter-day Saint. And there's lots of voices and lots of stories out there. And there's, you know, the church, obviously, and I'll invite you to always follow church teachings. Um, But at the end of the day, I think when you do things on your own terms, um, I think it is better for you emotionally, spiritually. You really feel like, so this decision to come back to the temple versus sort of out of duty, you didn't say duty, I'm putting words in your mouth, but just because that's what we do as Latter-day Saints, and you've come back on your own terms, I'm using those words you didn't use after a period of time, maybe that feels better to you. And maybe this period of deconstruction, you didn't use that term, I'm using that term reconstruction for Seth Larson, what is right for Seth, and what is my relationship with the church, God, Christ, dating men, the temple, what is my best path forward, and really owning that. I heard a gay Latter-day Saint talk about that gather. She said at the end of the day, you know, this is really at the end of the day, (laughs) at the very end of the day, eternally, when I stand before Christ, you know, everybody's going to be gone. Um, It's just going to be me and Christ, and he's going to be my judge. And so I think she said, I want to stand there feeling like I lived my life the way I, at the end of the day, felt was the right way to live my life. And I, I think there's power in that, you know, there's power in your story, and that, that is our doctrine. And of course, we want to create an environment where people stay in church and feel welcome. And, and I think we have to be mature enough just to let people write their own story and get personal revelation for their story and say, we'll just walk with you and you love you. And we're going to leave this all at Jesus's feet. Um, but I also recognize the paradox you're in is if you want to spend your life um, and use these words, I wrote down warm and safe with someone. <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's a pretty, uh, the God I believe in wants people to feel warm and safe with somebody. Um, my relationship with my wife, it's over 30 years now. It feels warm and safe. She broke her arm and I help her get dressed in the morning and, it's this tender moment where we're just sharing our 60s together, knowing that we're going to be spending the next 20 years taking care of each other as we get older. And our, we're going to have bruises and, and we're going to have to address each other at some point in our life. And 
I want to feel warm and safe with her. And so I recognize our marriage is just, it's a beautiful love story and I love having your life, but I recognize that you're feeling some of those same feelings um, that I felt when I met my wife at BYU. And so you understand this, Seth, and I'm probably talking too much, but I just, uh, you know, men are that they might have joy and we are, I don't want to just say, well, this will all work out in the next life, Seth. You just need to, you know, be alone in this life. Um, I, I would just say, you've got to, you've got to figure out how to live your life and I'll walk with you. And I think you're doing a terrific job of doing that. The other thing I'd say is I think you're doing this when you're your personal best. And so you, I talk about that on the podcast a lot is if you're going to hit these forks in the road listeners, and often it's kind of at your age where, you know, you've got to figure out my future. I, I'm not going to go on a mission. I've done that. So now my friends are getting married and I've really tried to date women. So you've got to figure out, am I going to be celibate? I'm in a mixed orientation marriage or am I going to be in a same-sex relationship? But I think if you're going to walk, hit those forks in the road, listeners, I think you've got to do it when you're your personal best. And that's when your relationship with God is the best, when you're your personal best, when you've got friends around you who know you are and can walk with you and you can share them um, with them about the realities of your life. So I think you're doing this at the right time in your life, Seth, because um, I think you are your personal best. And I think you're even seeing you want to become a better Seth Larson because of some of the experiences you're feeling. So I've just talked for about five or 10 minutes. Anything you want to come back to that I said that's not quite, feels isn't quite right with you? Or I want this to be your story versus me projecting thoughts into your story. You are also a very eloquent person. Um, I think I would just, again, I think it's interesting that the, the creation myth of Christianity is founded in paradox, not just of our church, but of every church, this idea that you do have to partake of the fruit to go forward. Um, and I feel really confident in myself, even when I go on dates or when I lean into this paradox now, because this is kind of what humanity is, I think. And I find Christ more in paradox than I do in linear thinking. So I think we all have chances to partake of the fruit, whatever that looks like for everyone in their life, um, and discover something new and to learn and to grow. So I think I, I, I used to hate the paradox of my life, but now I think it's actually quite fascinating, really interesting. Um, I don't know if I will be a member of the church my whole life. I do want to put that out there. I really don't know. And I have decided to not make a plan about it. But I'm very happy with where I am now. And I didn't think I'd ever be this happy. So that's it's 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 wonderful. And I'm I'm again very happy that we are allowed to learn and grow and be redeemed and make mistakes. It just life is it can be really beautiful when you lean into the paradox. I think it's fine for you to be open about your future, not sure you'll be a member of the church. You know, I would just say, um, I'm not your priest or your parent or, your, you know, I'm just meeting you, but I'd say, I trust you. And um, you're a bright, thoughtful guy, and I just trust you to make good decisions in your life. And I think you'll be okay. Talk about um, if there's church leaders listening, local church leaders or people that just... 
you know, I want to make the experience for the Seth Larsons that may be in my ward or my seminary class that are closeted, not closeted. I, I'm going to have to teach church doctrine and church policy, but what can I do to just help, you know, queer members, closet or uncloseted, feel more belonging? Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so my, my last bishop an award that I was in previously was the best bishop I think I will ever have in my life. But I was, I was pretty open with him as well about what I was doing with my life. Um, I did have a meeting with him the week after my first date, you know, I, I was, I was very open with him. And I think what he said that made the biggest difference in my life was Seth, I would rather have 1% of you be here than 0% of you be here. And he's like, and I will do whatever it takes to get as much of you as I can in the church. Which I interpreted as, and we talked about it, you know, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth. But this idea that it was like, Seth, if church is uncomfortable for you and you stop coming, that's okay. I still want you to be a member of this board somehow. You know, um, and the same bishop, I, I've heard from other people. We had other people in the ward who were really triggered by sacrament meeting for other reasons than mine. And my bishop offered those people, he said, if, if sacrament meeting really makes you that triggered, I would love to take the sacrament to you every week. Wow. You can stay home. I don't want you to feel that way. And we'll still bring you the sacrament because I know that you have a testimony, but I also know that this can be really difficult. And I'd rather you take the sacrament than not. So that attitude I had never encountered before in church leadership. Um, I'm sure I'm sure lots of my bishops feel that way, but this bishop was very explicit and very kind by showing, again, he wanted us to participate in as much of the church as we felt we could. And again, I think he, he is just the greatest example of what a Christ-like leader looks like. And I, I love him very dearly. Wow. That was, um, I'm reminded of a prior podcast guest from maybe five or six years ago who said, you know, I, I told my bishop that I'd kiss my boyfriend. He just looked away in disgust. And he says, that's the last time I ever came in a church. And I don't know if you told your, I don't know if at that point you'd kissed a boyfriend or a boy, but I love the way that after your first date, you went and talked to your bishop and he was just walking with you on your road and he was a safe person. But then this story of your bishop being aware enough that church could be triggering for some people and and not trying to dismiss that for some people and say, well, just get with the program or what's the big deal or you're being too sensitive. But he didn't go there. He said, I will take the sacrament to you. That's a, that is a really thoughtful priesthood leader. And that I want even 1% of you, Seth, to be here. And this non-binary, you know, either with us or you're against us, or you're either all in or you're all out. That's so thoughtful and so, I think, spiritually mature. And just to, and the principles of that story, I think, can scale it. What can we do in our circle of influence to be gatherers, not sifters? Everything you talked about, that bishop is gathering. I talk a lot about listeners. The gathering of Israel is, you know, people in Bolivia that you help find Christ. And you, a gay Latter-day Saint, or Israel, Seth. And we need to do everything we can to gather you. And right now, we can do much better in that space because a lot of the content you feel, makes you, I'm putting words in your mouth, makes you feel like you don't belong or you're not needed or you're second class, you're subpar. And 
that's not how I think God feels about you, as you know. Um, you, you use the word natural man, and I thought a lot about that when I wrote my first book, Listeners, that, well, Seth, this is just you being the natural man. <laughs> and um, I've tried to, I, I feel like feelings aren't the natural man. So straight feelings or gay feelings, listeners, I don't think that's the natural man. That's just how God created his children. And some are the majority that are straight and some are gender minorities or sexual minorities. But no one should look in the mirror and think those feelings are the natural man or, you know, displeasing to God. This isn't like church doctrine. This is just, you know, my feelings about this space. No one should look in the mirror and think how they're created or how they feel is displeasing to God. Or I don't think that creates shame and shame separates from the love of God and makes us feel that who we are is displeasing to God. And so you didn't use the natural man in, an un, in sort of those terms, but I think some would say, well, just feeling this way is the natural man and you need to get over the natural man. And I would say, no, this is just who you are. And that is not just like a straight person your age. Both of those are equal in the sight of God. So that's just the way I frame that up. Um, anything else that comes to your mind you'd like to share, Seth? I don't think so. Okay. Thank you, but yeah, no. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, one of my feelings sometimes, um, my queer, young queer Latter-day Saint friends sometimes are some of those spiritually mature, well-thought people because they've just had to work so hard that personal revelation, understanding the character of Christ. Um, I don't want to make that a blanket statement. There's really thoughtful men and women 25 years old or straight <laughs> in Utah County, but you've had you've really wrestled with this for a long time, and I think you're in a great spot. One of the quotes I sometimes share listeners um, is a Bernay Brown quote that it's not necessarily um, re referring to gay Latter-day Saints, but it helps me understand how you might feel. Brene Brown has said, not belonging is the most terrifying and destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's the feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and powerless to change the situation. In the extreme, physiological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation People will do almost anything to escape the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. That's a powerful quote that, for me, can help me understand how um, gay, lesbian, Latter-day Saint may feel. And then she goes on to say, what, what should we do? We embrace, validate, empathize, and including people helps us feel like they belong. So... If you're an ally, act on the impressions you felt, a parent or an ally, and what you can do in your circle of influence. And if you're LGBTQ and walking this road, our prayers, this cess story will help you navigate your road. And on a bunch of listeners want to reach out to you and give you a big hug, Seth, for your courage to share your story. You're a really good man. You're thoughtful. You're spiritually mature. You're intentional. You have a great life ahead of you. And I think if you come back on the podcast in 10 years, you'll talk about this period of time as central for the rest of your life. And I think you'll look back on this period of time and said, that was a, those, the things I did during this period of time took a lot of 
were hard, but they really gave me the foundation to write the rest of my life story. So um, anything else you want to say? I keep saying stuff and I just want to make sure I haven't said anything that is not quite okay with you. No, just thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so this is Seth Larson and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.